We all have dreams, and whether large or small, dreams take steps to achieve. And sometimes we think it takes a complex formula to get where we want to be. But in actuality, small steps over time create big results. This is The Tipping Point. Morning, everybody. Well, thanks for being at LifePoint today. My name is Donnie Williams. I'm the lead pastor here, and we're happy that you're sharing part of your morning with us. I love what's in this bag. I really do. It's great. They're great. You know what it is? It is donut holes. <laughs> these are my favorite donut holes in town. I haven't had one of these since about January 3rd, and I'm not going to do it today, but I'm not... Who, who loves donut holes? Like, these are the best in town. Here, you can have these. There you go. Good choice. Good choice. You know, if I ate that, it wouldn't change a thing about my diet. Wouldn't add a pound, wouldn't add an ounce, wouldn't change anything about my health. In fact, I could eat the whole dozen. It wouldn't change anything. But a steady diet, day after day, of donut holes will leave you with nothing but regret right? Who's done that? I've been there. That's what the tipping point is all about, except we're looking at it from a positive side. Just like if you have a steady diet of donuts or donut holes day after day after day, eventually you're going to feel the results of that. And you're going to gather some momentum and it's not the kind of momentum you would like to have. But there are areas of our lives where we can take some small steps that will over time make a big difference in our lives for the better. And so this series called Tipping Point is all about implementing some small changes in our lives that over time will help us gather momentum. It'll help us start to feel the change that's happening in our lives. And every week during this series, we're talking about something that we can implement into our lives that will make a huge difference. And today I wanna to talk to you about taking a, for some of you, you're already doing this, but many of you, just to take a step into community, into a Christian community of believers, not just here on Sunday morning, but beyond that. Many of you do that and your life is richer for it. Many of you don't and you have a blind spot in your life and you don't know what you're missing. Now by community, I mean a group of people who share your faith that you can count on in the tough times, that you can celebrate with in the good times in life, that you can share with and get advice from when life gets confusing or difficult. Community is something that everybody desires. It's just built into humans. We want to be in groups. From the first time you're dropped off at preschool or kindergarten, you start to form a group of people. Now, we tend to look for people like us, but we do reach out as humans and try to find a group of people that we can relate to, that we can be in community with. That's the natural thing to do. Now, I know there's some unnatural ways of living that says, I'm just gonna be secluded off by myself, 
I'm not, I'm not going to be around anybody. That's not natural. The natural way that God created us was to live in community with other people. You are not designed to do life alone. So I want to challenge those of you who have not taken the step into a community of people who share your faith to take that step today. It may be a difficult step to take the first time, even the second time. But as you begin to make those little investments in community over time, you will see some huge differences in your life. When Cindy and I were waiting on the arrival of baby number two, everything was great. We go to the hospital, deliveries moving along, and then all of a sudden, all these things start beeping. Nurses come running, a couple doctors come running throw me some scrubs. And before I know it, we're walking down, running down the hallway to have an emergency surgery for my wife. And I remember distinctly as I am praying, God, please don't let my wife or my baby die. But I remember we had to go through a waiting room as we went to the operating room. And over in the corner to my left was our friend's the people that we were in community with. And they could tell there was an issue because they saw the people running and they knew what room she was in and they, they circled up and they had their arms around each other like this and they were praying for Cinda and this baby. What would that experience have been like for me if no one would have been there? See, that's community. Some of you, if you face the same thing, you might be wondering who would be there for me. That's why we all need to take a step, even if it's an uncomfortable one, into a community of people that share our faith. Now, a couple of things you need to know about community. One is, if you wait until you need it, you won't have it. If you wait until I need this right now, if I had waited till the day in the hospital when all the buzzers were going off and I was scared to death and we were rushing towards an operating room and thought, I wish I could have some people around me that I knew were praying, that cared about me, that understood what I was going through, it would have been too late. So if you wait until the moment you need it, you won't have it. Another thing about community that we need to understand is there's the right kind of community and there's the wrong kind of community. Everything I ever did wrong growing up, I was with a group of friends. Either I was the instigator leading what we should not have been doing, or I was the follower, and I was just in the group and going to do what everybody else did. But the right community can help me make the right decisions. The right community can ask me about my struggles and what I'm dealing with. The right community can confront me about my issues in a spirit of love and friendship, and I'll take steps to be a better person. So you need community in your life, and here's why. Write this down if you're taking notes. Your ability to relate to God hangs on your willingness to engage in a community of believers. Your ability to relate to God hangs on your willingness to engage in community, in a community of believers. That's why we're focused on 
these three major beliefs at LifePoint. A little over a year ago, I went on one of my personal retreats. I do this a couple times a year where I can, I just, get, can just get along with God and say, God, where, where are you leading our church? Where are we supposed to go? What are we supposed to be doing? And I wanted to make our beliefs this concise statement, or it turned out to be a list, but something concise that everybody could remember and everybody could understand. What are the major beliefs that drive our church? And in the course of that time, I wrote down these three things, and you've heard me say them over and over again over the past year. Here's what we believe. We believe Jesus changes everything. He really does. In everybody's life, once Jesus comes into somebody's life, everything changes. We believe that people grow in community. We believe the best way to grow, in fact, I think the only way to grow in the way God desires for you to grow is in the context of a community of people who share your faith. The people grow in community. And the third one is, we believe that everyone has a mission. And we're gonna focus on number two of that today, that, that people grow in community. We're gonna look at what God's word has to say through some people who followed him thousands of years ago and lived in community. There's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. Raise your hand if you would like one. You are welcome to keep that, and take it with you. You can also follow along on the screen. So there's a time in Jesus's ministry when he was asked about, well, what's the most important thing? I think that was a really wise question. Now, the people asking it were trying to trick him. But if I were with Jesus and I thought he was a really wise person and truly the savior of the world in that day, I would have thought, hey, could you boil all this down? I need to know what the most important thing is. And here's how he responds. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now, most people get that. Most people would say, well, of course Jesus would say that because he represents God. And of course he would say this is the most important thing is to love God with everything you have, with every part of you. That's what's most important. But then he says something else. A second one is equally important. Equally, not not, hey, here's one that's secondary. Here's one that's, you know, you don't have to get right, but, you know, if you get the first one, here's the one that's not as important. That's not what he said. He said, this one is equally important. So he put loving God on the same level as loving your neighbor and also loving yourself. So essentially what he's saying is, if you love God, this other love is gonna exist in your life because it's equal to it. Loving God, loving others, loving myself. Now, some people get the love God, love self, and they just kind of jump over and like, I love God and I love me. That's great. <laughs> That's not that hard to do sometimes. But he said, love others, love your neighbor as yourself. And they go on with a conversation about who your neighbor is. Actually, Jesus is teaching here about what your who your neighbor is, is somebody that's very much not like you. Because it's easy to love the people that are like us and grew up the way we did and hold the same cultural values as we do. It gets harder when you move outside of that circle. That's who he says your neighbor would be. So he's saying, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So when those people who heard that 
began to build and establish and grow in the first century church after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, ascension back into heaven, the church begins to form and starts to grow, they would have remembered what Jesus said. They began to teach that you don't separate your faith in God from your relationship with fellow followers of Christ. There's no separation between those two. And I know you've probably heard people say, well, I love God, I love Jesus, I just don't like going to church and I'm not into that. If you said that to a first century Christ follower, that would have confused them because they didn't separate faith in God from being with the people of God. They didn't have that separation because faith in God was demonstrated by being with the people of God. So when somebody says, and I know a lot of times when people say that, they've been hurt by the church and that's horrible when that ever happens, but you never separate your faith in God from your relationship with the people of God. And the truth is, there's a large part of what it means to follow Jesus that cannot be done without other people. And when you don't have connections with each other, you're missing out. And we're missing out on what you bring. So here's how they lived it out. It's recorded in the New Testament book of Acts chapter two, and it says this. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So this is a description of the first century church. This is a description of people that it sounds like communal living. Like they had everything in common and they took care of each other. And there wasn't really this individualistic, I'm going to have my life and you have yours. It was, we're going to do this thing together. That's how they lived. That was God's intention for the church. We're in this together. We're doing this together. We're living our faith out together. And we're letting the world know about Jesus Christ together. Now, you would think, well, maybe they were all alike, and so that was easy, because it says they had everything in common, but the reality was they didn't have a lot in common at all, because in this group of new followers of Christ would have been people from different socioeconomic backgrounds. There would have been citizens. There would have been slaves. There would have been slave owners. There would have been business people. There would have been beggars. And they were all in this thing together called the church, all their cultures, all their languages, all their histories. And it was this mix of impossibly different people. You would think, how could these people ever get together? But when they united around the message of Christ, everything changed. All the walls that once was built between them came down. And this church, the church, is made up of people who are different. 
but they have unity. And it's the ones who are different that will end up making the biggest difference. So when this community, when the community around this community of believers began to see the unity that all these people from diverse backgrounds had, all these people that would have never been together other than they believed in Jesus. When the people around them started to see that, here's what it says in verse 47. It says, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. So the church was enjoying goodwill from everybody because people could look and say, now that is different. That's a diverse group of people who are living out their faith, who love and care for each other and are trying to make a difference in the world. So what were they noticing? They were noticing how people treated each other. There's a phrase in the New Testament that appears 94 times. It's the two words, one and then another. So one another. That phrase appears it actually appears 100 times in 94 different verses. And you can break them down into four different groupings of how it talks about people's relationship with one another. And there's a common word in all this. It's up. It's what people did for each other. For example, the first one, the, the way we can break down this one another grouping of passages. First thing they did, they put up with each other. That's what people did in the first century. They put up with each other. In Romans 15, verse seven, it says, accept one another just as Christ has accepted you. Accepting people is easy as long as they're like me. It's really easy to accept people that think like me, that grew up like me, that look like me. Isn't it really easy? But that's not what this says. It says, accept one another. So they put up with each other. Now, some people are hard to put up with. Sometimes you're the one that's hard to put up with. Because by nature, people are weird, right? They are. If, if I came to your house for a day and just kind of hung out and watched and you didn't know I was there, uh, I would walk away going, they're weird. And if you came to my house, you would say the same thing, like, that guy is weird. If you think everybody else is weird, who do you think everybody else thinks is weird? You. So people, by nature, we're just weird. We do strange things. We say strange things. And people are hard to put up with. Sometimes it's the person you're married to. Sometimes it's the person in the carpool line. It's the friend. It's the post you can no longer look at. But God's word says, when you're in a family of believers, you put up with each other. You put up with other people's weirdness. In the book, Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Them, <laughs> author John Ortberg talks about how people are kind of like shopping at the back of the department store on the as-is rack, <laughs> like... Where, you know, if you buy something off the as-is rack, it's probably, maybe it has a stain on it. Maybe the stitching's not straight, but they're irregulars. You can save a little money on irregulars, but they're not regular. He, he says that's how people are. We're all on the as-is rack. Ephesians 4 verse 2 says, be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. 
Remember, when you're having to put up with somebody, somebody's probably having to put up with you. So God is saying, put up with each other. Allowing for each other's faults means that everybody belongs even when they're not like me. That everybody has a place even when they don't think like me or look like me or respond like me, they have a place in the family of God. The second grouping of these one another passages, first is put up, the next one is, is hold up, hold up each other. Galatians 6 says, share one another's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. Life can bring us burdens. It just happens. Things go wrong. We lose jobs. Relationships break up. We get addicted. Things happen. I have this group of people in my life that they hold me up when life is tough. I can call them and tell them anything. They're my most close community of people that I can truly say anything to. And when I'm down, I just got a text from one of them this morning that said, Hey, just wanted you to know, prayed for you this morning, hope the day goes well. And if I had a burden, I would have called them this morning and said, hey, pray for me today. Things aren't going well. You need that. You need that whether you're a single mom, a couple going through a difficult time, a couple doing great. If life is great and everything's perfect, you need that. You need that at school. You need that in the classroom. A community of believers can hold you up because you can't do that alone. The next grouping has this idea of building up with it. In the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says, encourage each other and build one another up. Now, I'm the kind of person, it's really hard to hurt my feelings. You have to talk about my wife or my kids before you hurt my feelings. You could come up and say, that message was not good. I'll, I'll probably say, I know. I, I, had to, like, I had to deliver it. Well, I know what you mean. Like, that would not hurt my feelings at all. But there's times when encouragement can take a bad mood, a down mood, and turn it around by simply saying encouraging words. And I have a couple different groupings of people I put in my life. There are people in my life that I know if I'm out of line or if I'm moving in the wrong direction, they're going to say something and I want them to say something. If I'm treading on some dangerous, in some dangerous territory, they'll say something to me. Then I have a group of people in my life that I know that they're going to come and they're going to put their arm around me and tell me you are awesome. Like you need both of those people in your life that'll build you up when the world starts to tear you down. Every time I officiate a wedding, I look at the couple and I say, your job is to build the other person up when the world tries to tear them down because the world will try to tear you down. No matter who you are, no matter what you're going through, but as a couple, you are uniting here today as man and wife and you need to build each other up when the world tries to tear you down. In a Christian community of believers, part of our job is to build each other up. If your fellow followers of Christ won't do it, who will? Where will it come from? You need that. The next one is a community of believers that care about one another. They point up. 
James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. If you don't have a group of people in your life where you can say, I really messed up. I made a mistake. I'm sorry. I looked again. I drank again. I used again. I flirted again. Whatever it is, if you don't have a group of people like that in your life that will immediately say, let me pray for you. Let me point you to the God that can heal and forgive and make right your relationship with him at any time. See, when I'm in biblical community, the kind that grows me, and I'm connected with a group of people who build me up, connected with a group of people who encourage me, connected with a group of people who pray for me and point me toward the God who can heal me, Life will move in a direction it will not otherwise. So, Abby was born okay, by the way. Everything was fine. She was healthy. But what would that experience have been like for me at the beginning had I not had those people? There have been a few times through the year, like when she reached her 16th birthday, I Facebook messaged all of them and I said, hey, you remember that day when you stood in the hospital and prayed for this little girl and I sent them a picture just to let them know your community in my life made a difference. If you wait until you need it, you're not gonna have it. So go for it now. Take the step. You know, that's why we, we do our best when we notice you haven't been here for a while. If we notice whether you fill out a card all the time, we see there's not a card or we just don't see you. Somebody will call you or email you or get in touch with you in some way if we notice you're not here and say, hey, how you been? Is everything okay? What's going on? And there have been so many stories that have come from hey, I was down and I just got that call on the right day and I hadn't been plugged in for like six months and somebody called me and it makes a difference. We're committed to this. This is one of our core beliefs that people grow in community that if you have a little kid, when you drop them off over there, from the moment they have an awareness of what's around them, they are in a group. And when they move a little closer to, especially like when they hit kindergarten, we put them in a group where they can share and talk to other people and they have a group leader that can invest in their life and they can start to know what community is all about. That's a strategy. What if we get them involved at age four and five and six years old and then when they get in middle school, same thing happens. They're in a group. When they get in high school, same thing happens. They're in a group. And we're hoping what happens if where they go away to college or stay here, somehow they're still involved in a group. And then when they really grow up and get a job and, and start to live life and get married, they'll still value that community made a difference in their life. My, my kids, who are both out of high school now, would say that some of the most meaningful spiritual nourishment they got in their life was through those small groups and those small group leaders. The day that our now 21-year-old was baptized, she was 11 years old, and I couldn't wait for her to stand up there and say, I'm getting baptized today because my dad is so awesome. And he preaches, and I heard about Jesus through him, and, and we got home, and I said, hey, honey, you need to write down how you're feeling. And, and so what she does, she draws a picture, and I'm not in it. 
It's her small group leaders who invested in her and told her about Jesus and prompted her to make that decision. That's what we want for every one of your children because we strategically look at how can we get these kids involved in a community of believers from a very young age. If you wait until you need it, you're not gonna have it. So take the step now and invest in it. I want you to see somebody's story who took a step into community and what a huge difference it made in her life and what she was going through. Take a look. In 2014, I started a season of separation and eventually divorce. And it was definitely the darkest time of my life. Very, very difficult. I leaned into family. I leaned into friends. Um, I leaned into a lot of people at church. Went and spoke with some really godly women that I knew could help me to see God in what was going on in my life. And they sat down and gave me some strategies right off the bat to help me get through some of the deepest hurts that I had ever endured. One of the things that I was told to do was to ask God to show up, to give me a hug during the day. And I, and I did it often, and it was amazing how he would. He would show up. He would show up in an email that I would open. As soon as I opened my eyes in the morning, there would be an email that was speaking directly to what I needed to hear. There would be a song on the radio that had lyrics that were just exactly what I was going through, to need to know that he was there and he was supporting me and, and that he loved me through all that I was going through. When I share my story about what I was going through with you know, just friends and um, even some family that didn't have quite a deep enough faith, um, they would tell me things that didn't really help. When I would talk to believers, I found a lot more truth of, you know, well, God loves you and that even God knows your suffering. He's walked through suffering and he knows what it feels like. And so those sorts of things I would hear and I would get strength from them. I, I went to divorce care and being in that setting amongst people that really knew my pain. They had an understanding that surpassed even my, my closest family members and how they would love on me. They were able to understand and show me hope through God's word and through their walk that they could say, I've been there and it can get better. Being in a community of believers, I was able to bounce off, you know, what, what's going on in my life just to support me through it and um, know that I had somebody there to, to lean on and to, to, to text or, or call if I needed somebody to, to help me support my girls in any way. You don't, you don't get through life as well without, without a group of people that are seeing you through it. So you need God and you need His Word to, to, to help nourish you but you also need the people around you to, to continue to lift you up and to pull you through. Because there are times where you know, you, you just need that little nudge. And then there are times where somebody else is gonna need it from you. So I think it's invaluable. There were times where I was stuck in a place that I didn't wanna move from. And they, they were the ones that 
helped encourage me. You can, you can do this. You can get through it. Um, I looked into God's word. I knew that he was going to help me through it, but not having them there to, to push me through would have been a huge detriment. I don't see things as a disappointment as much anymore because I feel like the, there's a positive energy about being in a group that you're surrounded by people that really do care for you. I can see that my girls are living life differently. They, they have gotten stronger through this. Uh, I'm parenting them that even through disappointments there can be something that's good in all of it. There's, there's, there's just no words for how priceless being in a group has been in my situation and so many others have told me the same about theirs. If you, if you find yourself where you really need to, to take that next step and move forward into a group, um, just know that God will, will walk you through it. Um, there might be hesitancy and you might feel like you can't share or you're being vulnerable, but really that's where I've found that God has worked most in my life is when I've let others pour into me um, by letting God pour through them. So um, I, I really think that it's, it's, a, it's a difficult step to take at first, but it is so worth it. So that's Christina's story. She was already connected to community when she went through a difficult time relationally in her life. What if she hadn't been? I don't think this story would have turned out like that. Imagine what your life could be like if you're one of the folks that haven't yet taken that step. Imagine what it could be like if you had a community of believers around you like that. And so today I'm just asking you to take a step you can just simply go home today and type in findmygroup.com and there's a lot of different groups you can get involved with. You can come up and talk to me afterwards or if you go out to the welcome, uh, the, uh, welcome experience afterwards, you can also ask somebody in there, hey, how do I take a step to grow in a community? It's not always easy. The first time's not always easy. Maybe you got to try out a couple different smaller groups before you can really Find one that really feels like this is the group of people that I can really do life with, and that's okay. But just do that today. You can mark it on the back of that Connect card that you got in the program. Just let us know, hey, I want to take a step into community, and I want to give it a try. Because the first time might not be easy, second time might not be easy, but you consistently invest in community. And before you know it, you'll reach the tipping point, and your life will start to gather momentum and it's going to become such a valuable part of your life, you'll put it right up there with everything else you try to prioritize and get done in your life, and you won't want to miss it. It's my prayer that everybody gets there. Let's pray. God, thank you for the opportunity to be involved with people different than us, but people who share our faith. And God, I pray for every person in this room that's yet to experience true community, I pray that today they would take the difficult step to say, I'm, I, I'm ready to do that. And they would keep at it until it reaches a tipping point in their life and gathers momentum and it means so much to them, they wouldn't even think of trying to do life alone again. And I pray this in Jesus' name.